Friends, one thing we can be sure of that is that everyone who is born will surely die someday. It's just a matter of time. Some die soon and some die a bit later. But we all die. And with death, we will all face a division. Sometimes when we see the end around us, we also long for the day when there will be no more death. And that is when we will all face our maker. And in the end, how do we know that our life counts? What we say, what we do, and how we spend our time? This passage before us answers that question. Jesus ushers us to the final day, the day of judgment. And one of the things we find in this passage is that our day-to-day -day life matters. This morning, I want to persuade you from the scriptures that the day of judgment will reveal Christ's authority and our true allegiance. The day of judgment will reveal Christ's authority and our true allegiance. So to do this, we will look at this passage in Matthew 25. And we will find three observations about the day of judgment. One, this is a certain reality. Two, there will be a clear distinction. And thirdly, there will be a final decision. So let's look with me to Matthew chapter 25 as we hear the word of God. Matthew 25 verses 31 onwards. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep in his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king answered, with, answered them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devils and his angels. For I was hungry, and you, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Blessed be the name of our Lord. Let us come to our Lord in prayer. Father, we 
rejoice that you will one day come. We thank you, Lord, that you have come in your glory and you have revealed yourself to us by giving up your life on the cross and dying for sinners and so that we can now be reconciled to you. And we also know that, Lord, that you would one day come. So we ask that, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to face you on that judgment day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look at this beginning of this verse in verse 31, we need to understand the context a bit. This passage is the Olivet Discourse. This is the last teaching discourse of Jesus Christ. And it's a private discourse. It is an intimate teaching moment between Jesus and his disciples. When Jesus is on a hillside out of Jerusalem in the middle of the Passion Week. And before that, he has just been in the temple as they were in Jerusalem. As they were leaving the temple, Jesus says, as he looks up and he says, not one of these stones will, will remain on top of the other. And so the disciples are disturbed by that. The temple is everything to the Jews. So when they get to the Mount of Olives out of, outside of Jerusalem, they ask him when these things will happen and what is the sign of his return at the end of the age. And so in chapters 24 and 25, we have Jesus answering this question. Although not directly, he doesn't give them direct answers, but talks about what they are asking. First, he tells them about the destruction of the temple. Then he begins to provide the signs of his return. And this is the context we have for Matthew 25. And this is to the, the close of that teaching session. So as we look at verse 31, we first will look at a certain reality. The scene we have here is that there is something that Jesus is saying. And he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Now, some say this is a parable and sometimes it is referred to as a parable because of the symbolic language that we see here of the sheeps and the goats. But this event, what we see here, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, that event will occur at the end of the day of judgment. That's the coming of Jesus. It is like a burst of thunder or a flash of night lightning. It is intended to startle us, captivate us, get our attention. So we focus it upon this text. Jesus Christ will return. That is what is happening here. It describes the future event and starts with when the Son of Man comes. It is not if the Son of Man comes or suppose the Son of Man comes. This is an inevitable reality. This is what Jesus is doing in the earlier two chapters as well. Jesus was explaining that he was coming and he has been preparing his disciples for what it would be. So how do we get there? Jesus doesn't give all the details of how these things unfold, but this will indeed happen. There is an appointed time when he comes, no doubt about that. And when he comes in his glory, he will gather all the nations. So he says, when the Son of Man comes, and that phrase, the Son of Man, it's a favorite way of Jesus to describe himself. It is referred to his humanity as well as his divinity as being totally God and totally man. This is also a reference to the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7, which we saw in our Daniel series. Daniel was prophesying about the end, 
and mentions God the Father as the ancient of days, the sovereign one, Jehovah, the ancient of days will come and he will sit on his throne. But then that is followed by in verse 13 of chapter 7, it says, Daniel says, I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, the son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So when Jesus is using the son of man, he's referring to this prophecy of Daniel. So how does he come? He comes in glory. It won't be like the suffering servant that we see in the gospels. He will come in all of his glory. When the son of man comes, all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And he will not come alone. It says all the angels will go with him. Now imagine that, this would be a huge spectacle. It will be unmistakably clear and evident that Jesus will return in his glory and all the angels will be with him. And when, when, he, when he comes in this way, he sits on the throne. And so Jesus says, he is the son of man to whom the ancient of days will hand over the throne and on which at his return, at his second coming, when he sits on the throne, what he does is he judges. When the king sits on the throne, that infers judgment. King is now going to rule from his throne. He will issue judgments from his throne. Now the Jews had a view of coming judgment. The Hebrew scriptures often spoke about the coming judgment at the end of the age. We can see that throughout the Old Testament. In Psalm 96 verse 13 says, For he comes to judge the earth, and he will judge the world in righteousness, and the people in his faithfulness. The last word of Ecclesiastes says, For God will bring every deed into judgment, every secret, whether good or evil. So the Jews expected that judgment was coming. They knew that. But the sovereign Lord will execute the judgment and here through the Messiah. Now let's look at verse 32. And when he comes, what will he do? Before him will be gathered all the nations. All people from everywhere will be gathered before Jesus. This is expansive. For example, if somebody were to die today as a Christian, they would go immediately into the presence of the Lord. And if somebody is not a Christian will die, they will also go and stand before God for punishment. And we see here the last day, the resurrection of all standing before God, giving an account of their lives. And you see this is a certain definitive moment and will affect everyone. Matthew makes a point in verse 32, before him, that, that is before Jesus will be gathered all the nations. The nations here mean all people. That is all the people. There is no one excluded. Every single person who ever lived. Now imagine this. Sometime uh, when I first came to UAE and uh, during the New Year's time around Burj Khalifa, 
it felt like everyone in the UAE were, were there to see this huge light show. The traffic was slow. It seemed like uh, the metro stations were full with people. People were everywhere on the roads. But there were also not many people that were there. And now imagine on the last day, all the people in this world will be gathered. It will be actually true. It will not be symbolic. Everyone who has had, who lived on this earth before, now, and in the future will stand on that judgment day. So it will be millions, billions and billions of people will be gathered on the last day. All before the king, the famous, the common, the kings and the peasants, the good and the wicked, the mighty and the simple, the rich and the poor, the employers and the employees, right? the locals and expats, all of them standing together. And of course, you and I would be there. We will have our faces numbered among the crowd, all of us. Everyone, even we have never encountered our long lost friends, our casual acquaintances, our close friends, family members, everybody gathered at this great assembly before the king. This judgment is going to be expansive. And this is a statement of fact, my friends. And we will not miss this. So beloved, if you trust Jesus today, brother or sister, think about this. The one who shed his blood and loved you with everlasting love. The one who has promised to do good for you. The one who has promised never to let any promises that he has made fail. Who will not let enemy of you conquer you. Is the one who will be seated on that throne. Your Lord, your Savior, your High Priest, your friend, your brother. He is the one who will be there. That is very comforting if you are trusting Jesus. Now Jesus tells us this day is in the future. So that those of us who have come to trust in him, to whom he has come and opened our understanding and revealed himself, and who by his spirit has turned away from our old lives, looking to him for forgiveness and finding grace in him. And he tells us about this future day. And I think one reason is that so that we might help others know about this future day. And he tells so that we will be heralds of the coming judgment day of God. You can read that in Acts chapter 11, verses 10 to 11. How Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, was sent to a Roman centurion house. God miraculously sent him there. And he went there to that express purpose of teaching the centurion's family the truth about Jesus. So he opens it and tells Jesus is the son of God who came into the world to seek and to save sinners so that all would trust him and could be reconciled to God and have sins forgiven, and can have a new life. And then as he brings his message to a close, he says in Acts chapter 10, verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness Forgiveness of sins through his name. 
So this Jesus who came the first time laid down his life on the cross for sinners to save people like you and me and rescue us from our wasted lives and he will come again in judgment. He has commanded his followers to bear witness of this testimony. So friends, how do you explain this urgency to the people around you? Do you feel the urgency in your own lives? How are you with your evangelism? That is what Peter did and I'm doing this morning. So friends, let us remember, keep in our minds and be mindful that Jesus is coming and he will come to sit upon a throne of judgment and every one of us and everybody who has ever lived will ever live and every one of us who will be called to account. And there are some of us this morning who are not trusting Christ. You're not thinking about his coming to judge you. That's something that's far in your thought process. You never think about that. But if you need to be right with him, if you're an unbeliever and you ignore Jesus throughout your life, you ignore him to that point when he comes, you will be before him as he is seated upon that throne of judgment as one who resisted his calls. You have ignored his gracious invitation to come and find comfort and forgiveness. You have ignored him and you, when he will be seated, you will also have to give account. That is a terrifying thought. This kind, gentle, loving, merciful savior will that day sit in judgment as the royal king against you. You lived your whole life in sin and rebellion. You might ignore Jesus today, but you cannot ignore him on that day. So if you are not dependent on him, you may be religious or you may be member of Grace Church and deceiving yourself or serving in some way religiously, but in your heart of hearts, you are not trusting in the Savior. You do not depend upon him. You might know about him and answer questions about him accurately, but you are not connected to him by faith. And my dear friend, I'm before you this morning pleading you to hear and heed this word of Jesus and come to him. But bear in mind, I'm not saying in a way to scare you into believing in Jesus or to, or to ask you to put your trust in him so your future may be secured or insured. I'm doing that because I'm asking you to see for yourself for all that he has said has come to pass. They are fulfilled and his words are true and he will come again for sure. He will come in glory and power and when he comes, he will, we will not ignore him. The day of judgment is coming. The Jesus will be the judge. Ultimately, there will be only life or death, heaven or hell, blessing or curse, joy or weeping and anguish. Maybe you can picture it like this, when Jesus comes, it's like this magnetic effect. You know the magnet can draw suitable types of things to it, but if you try and push it against something else, it will repel. And it's because of the nature, it's because of the composition of those things. Jesus in its glory, Jesus in his justice, Jesus in his righteousness comes and the, by, by the virtue of his very nature repels the unrighteous 
but draws into the righteous, into life. Those hearts that are united with him. And Jesus is telling us this, that it is certain. So we are to take heed of that. No one will have an excuse. So friends, we prepare to all kinds of things, don't we? We prepare for marriage. We prepare for parenting. We prepare for a new job and so on. And none of them are sometimes certain. But Jesus will surely come. How are you preparing for that? Are you prepared for it? The second thing we can see from this passage is that this teaching, this judgment of God, when God judges, there will be a clear distinction. That will be our second point, a clear distinction. There will be a distinction and separation and that will be very clear. There will be no confusion. Who is it will be judged? But, but in some sense, when we are in Christ, we long for day, that day, right? We want to, we long for justice to prevail. When we see wrongs righted, we want to see righteousness rewarded and acknowledged. One day that is going to happen, wickedness will be punished, righteousness will be rewarded. This might not take place today, but we hope it will come about on that final day. And we long to see him come, and when we hear injustice, people mistreated or ridiculed. That is good news, evil not will prevail. And there is a bad news associated with this day of judgment as well. This is going to be final and irreversible. The day of judgment will be a day of division. There will be those who are the sheep and those on the left who are the goats. So that's the clear distinction. Let's look at that in verse 32. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. The right hand side of the king is known as the highest place of honor. And so already we see an inference here that the sheep are treated with preference. And Jesus further explains this clear distinction between these two groups. So Jesus goes on to speak of the sheep who are on the right. And he says in verse 34, then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. So after separating, he talks to the sheep with a pronouncement. He pronounces an inheritance to the sheep. Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Notice here now, he, he refers himself as a king. The king in verse 34 is the shepherd in verse 32. And the shepherd in verse 32 is the son of man in verse 31. And the son of man in verse 31 is Jesus, Jesus the king. And he's not only the king, and he's not only the king when he returns, he's the king now. We will see him just and that when he returns in his glory. But the important thing for us to notice here is that the sheep are rewarded. 
The sheep are getting something as the reward for this judgment. And whatever they get, the thing for us to note here is that it is inherited, not earned. This is very important because some have read this passage and said that Jesus, Jesus teaches works-based salvation. And certainly if you look at it on the surface level and just breeze through the story and read what Jesus said on a superficial level, it might seem that it is based on our works. Those who show acts of service to people who are in need will be rewarded with eternal life. And so some will say Jesus is teaching works-based salvation. That is not what Jesus is teaching here. Whatever the sheep get, Jesus wants to be clear that it is inherited. You cannot earn an inheritance. It is only yours by what? By relationship. And so somehow the sheep are related to the king here. And we know that this reward is not earned here because it tells us when they inherited this from the foundation of the world. What they get for inheritance was prepared for them. Not after the king saw that they have done all these good things and deeds that are right. It was prepared from them from the foundation of the world. Jesus is saying, friends, that the blessed are blessed. And by consequence, the cursed are cursed from the foundation of the world. I see an indication that God here is sovereign in our salvation. Just like how Paul says that in Romans, Romans talking about Jacob and Esau. Chapter 9 verse 11. Though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, so that God's purpose of election might continue, not by works but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger as it is written, Jacob I loved but Esau I hated. So Jesus seems to be saying here from the foundation of the world, a kingdom inheritance was prepared for his sheep. And now on the last day, they will get their inheritance. The point is that this cannot be salvation by works. We are only saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ as a substitute for us on the cross that we might in him now be called righteous. We see that Jesus calling them the righteous in verse 37 later on. But this is a very critical part of Jesus' teaching. Where there is a saving grace, there is an evidence of that saving grace. So what is that evidence? What, we, what is the evidence on which the sheep are judged? Verse 35, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. And sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. So the evidence is serving Jesus when Jesus is in need. That's the evidence based on this this is the result of who they are in Christ the blessed ones that is what it says here I was hungry and you gave me food I was thirsty and you gave me drink I was a stranger and you welcomed me I was naked sick and in prison and you came to me and so the evidence on which G, the, the, the judge bases his judgment is the observable evidence is serving Jesus when he is in need but then the sheep object to that because they cannot recall a time when they did that to Jesus. Then the righteous will answer him, verse 37, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? 
And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? You see, they're surprised here. The sheep here who are righteous, though righteous by faith in Jesus, the righteous will answer him, when did we do these things? The sheep are amazed because it seems to them as though Jesus is rewarding them for something they didn't do. Now a couple of things to note about the sheep being surprised here. First, the sheep didn't say, well, thank you, Jesus. That should tell us they did not see that their good works were the basis of their acceptance of God. And the other thing we see in this surprise is the humility of the sheep. The sheep are wondering why are they admitted entrance into this kingdom. And they, on the contrast, they are not brimming over with pride and worthiness in entering the kingdom. We see humility in them. This should encourage those of us who struggle with the assurance of salvation. And as Jesus responds to their surprise, we see something remarkable in the sheep. And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of these, the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. There is a presence of selfless compassion among the sheep. That is an amazing concept for us to think about. For when this least of this brother was hungry and you gave him food, Jesus is saying, you gave me food. When the least of this brother was thirsty and you gave me drink, Jesus is saying, you gave me drink. When this least of this brother was stranger and you welcomed him, you welcomed me. When this least of this brother was naked and you clothed him, you clothed me. When I was sick and you visited me, and I was in prison and you visited this brother, you came to me. So you get the point here. Now what does this mean by the least of these? The least of these are my brothers. Some will say this refer to those, all of those who are in need like the story of the Good Samaritan. In that story, our neighbor is anyone who is in need. And some will say that that is what Jesus is saying here. Others will look at this, and this is right, I think. Jesus here is referring to his disciples because he says, one of these least my brothers. This doesn't mean that we are only called to show compassion to those who are Jesus' disciples. Because he didn't live like that in this context. But in this context, he means the least of my brothers, that he's talking to those who are followers of Jesus. And that should be our focus, but it is not limited to that. So the point is that when the sheep were doing these things, they were not trying to earn brownie points. They were truly selfless acts of compassion. To be, they were not hoping to be called the philanthropist of the year. They were truly selfless acts of compassion. I put that word selfless in there because they were not thinking about themselves. They saw a need and they had compassion just like Jesus. They saw a need of the hurting people and felt the need to do something about it, just like Jesus. If you think about it, Jesus saw our greatest need and he came down to this earth to die for our sins so that we sinners can now be reconciled with God, isn't it? And that's the same principle that we see here. Apostle John teaches this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And he says in verse 16, 
by this we know that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him how does god's love abide in him little children let us not love in word or talk but in deed and in truth so that's the principle that we see here explained to us that is the evidence on which the king will look at that and say you belong on my right side the evidence that's been given here is the evidence that has to do with the response to the king because he has loved us in christ we love our brothers so and how you responded to king is actually how you responded and reacted to those who with whom the king identifies those who he called brothers and sisters he sees the observable evidence and says you belong on my right then he turns to the left now the conversation is with the goats and this starts in verse 41 with the pronouncement of punishment so with the sheep we had a pronouncement of inheritance and for the goats the punishment then he will say to those on his left depart from me you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devils and his angels for i was hungry and you gave me no food i was thirsty and you gave me no drink i was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me you see there is a bit of disparity between the sheep and the goats the sheep are called the blessed the goats are called the cursed the righteous are blessed with inheritance but the goats with eternal fire to the heap sheep he says come to me the goats he says depart from me this judgment and the observation of evidence resulted that the sheep were getting an internal inheritance and for the goats eternal fire friends this is an apparent re- reference to hell we will see uh, see it uh, through, uh, uh, as we think about that and this place is not just for the goats but also for the devil and his angels and the evidence on which the goats are judged and the inter- interesting part is the same criteria that were used to judge the sheep for i was hungry you gave me no food i was thirsty you gave me no drink i was a stranger you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me apparently the goats did not dis- not serve jesus when he was in need then they also will answer you see in verse 44 Lord when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or a sick or in prison and did not minister to you then he will answer them saying truly i say to you as you did not do to one of the least of these you did not do it to me the goats also if you see here express surprise but note there is a stark contrast between the two of them in their humility the sheep wondered how they served jesus and admitted entrance into the kingdom but here the goats in their pride the goats are wondering why they are denied the goats are thinking this is unfair we never saw you like that you cannot hold us accountable for something we did not have an opportunity to start with 
And Jesus' response to them points out to the absence of this selfless compassion that was evident in the sheep. So he says, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to me of the least of these, you did not do it to me. The goats had opportunities to serve others and show selfless compassion, but they didn't take advantage of it. We are not told in this passage why they didn't do it. Maybe they were too busy. Perhaps they had a lot of things going on. And maybe they thought it is it too important to show compassion to the least of these. They didn't think that much important. Or maybe in their minds there were more important things to do to the point they didn't have time to focus on these things. Perhaps they thought, you know, getting involved in the lives of these people is too time-taking, messy, too dirty. I'm not qualified, maybe they thought. I'm not prepared. I'm not equipped. For whatever reason, they are like the priest, the Levite in the story of the Good Samaritan. They just passed by on the other side. Friend, if you're, if you're confused to see who your brothers and sisters are so that you can share this love, I would encourage you to look at our membership. One of the fundamental purposes of membership is to say I'm committing to doing this with you. There is a demonstrable, visible display of walking in obedience, in showing mercy, love, kindness, and sweetness of speech with one another. So let me ask you the question. Do you belong to a church? Have you joined a church? Do you know who you are supposed to be loving? Do you know well enough to serve others? Jesus is describing here that when you are in a church, you will inevitably see those who are in need, those who are suffering, and those who need your selfless compassion. And I'm encouraged, brothers, that we as a church can identify the needs among us. We are zealous to care for the needy, the suffering, and the helpless. We are good at hospitality. We like to hang out and fellowship. But, as, but brothers and sisters, we are also called to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. So with humility and gentleness, we affirm every first week of the Sunday that we will patiently bear with each other, forgiving, encouraging, building one another up, exercising watchfulness over each other, and admonishing one another when necessary. So are you faithful in this area? My brother, my sister, do you tend to focus on these things when it only seems to serve you or when it is convenient for you? Do you often act like, am I my brother's keeper? Do you only talk about Jesus because that is your job? Or do you only witness to Jesus only when you are asked to lead a small group Bible discussion? Do you try only to deny worldly passions so that you can have a better marriage? Do you give because you have to, not because you love Jesus and all you have is his? Do you only exercise self-control when eating because you don't want to gain weight? Any good work we do, we don't do these things to get to heaven. But your love for others proves that heaven's kingdom has already taken up residence in your heart, which is why you live in this way which is why you do good works. Because the way we live will be evidence when we stand before Jesus. And so Jesus gives this conclusion, the final decision, the punishment of the goats and the life of the sheep. 
and these will go away into eternal punishment, he says. Who are these? The goats. But the righteous into eternal life. The eternal punishment in verse 46 is described as eternal fire. This is going to be a place of utter anguish forever. But eternal life is an eternal inheritance. In our sinful minds, we can't imagine that fully, but I'm sure just as how it is going to be glorious, the eternal life, it will also be very weighty, the eternal fire. And Apostle Peter refers to it. He says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfailing, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So in conclusion, few implications for us. First, first there is much encouragement we can take from this passage. That should bring encouragement to us, comfort to us. Why? Because there is a lot of evil in this world. I mean, just think for a moment. When you turn on the television or the read the news, there is just disaster after disaster that we hear. Everywhere there is fear, confusion, chaos. There are all kinds of evil in this world. To the point it seems as though evil is having its field day. But we are reminded by passages like this that there will come a day when Jesus will have his day. King Jesus will have his day and we see that in Revelation chapter 21 verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This will happen. Our servant king will be the mighty judge in all his glory. Every person who has ever caused you deep pain will stand before him. Then finally, there will be an end to this evil. So let us take comfort in that. Secondly, we should consider our own lives. We should think about how we are living our lives. Because King Jesus is coming back. Jesus said to be watchful, be alert and be filled with the spirit because you do not know when the Lord is returning. In chapter 24, Jesus calls not to be caught napping and sleeping spiritually. Let's not be like the servants who take advantage of the delay of the master. Instead, let's be diligent and faithful like the obedient servant. So let's consider our lives, evaluate our lives. Thirdly, trust in Christ and daily repent of your sin. The passages, the passages are not talking to us about what we see here is that we, we, we need to see the evidence of our salvation and the criteria by which we will be judged. 
Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone as our only hope to be rescued from what we all rightly deserve. And anyone who trusts in Christ Jesus as their only hope and turns from sin and self-rule will show evidence of that in the manner they live. True saving faith and grace will be evident in their lives and our lives over time. What is that evidence? Selfless compassion. You know, it's not just enough to give, feed, clothe and welcome others. The way you do that is important. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. If you are struggling to deny yourself for the sake of your brother or sister or your spouse or your child and if you are struggling to forgive others just as Christ has forgiven you, if you are unable to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, if you are struggling with envy, covetousness, but not model Christ-like self-sacrificial love, repent of your sins and trust in Christ to live by faith. And fourth and final implication, we should with joy long for the coming of our Lord. Not just comfort and encouragement. We should find joy when Jesus will come back. When we are found faithful. We will be spared from what we rightfully deserve. That should bring us joy. An eager anticipation. When we gather before Jesus. We, we, we who know him and live in this humble obedience. Our king, our advocate will attest to our faithfulness. And he also puts forward his righteousness for our acceptance. So, be eager, pray regularly, come Lord Jesus, come. We see in Revelation 21 verse 5, and he was seated on the throne, I read that earlier, behold I am making all things new, and also he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. May God give us grace to live in this way. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you acknowledging our sin and our failures of all the times when we did not live by faith, but we did things and pursued things for our own good and for our own glory. We ask it, Lord, that you would convict us of those areas. Give us grace, Lord, to repent of those tendencies and help us, Father, to live on this earth with humble obedience, knowing what you have called us to live like. And help us, Father, by your grace, may we live like that. And may we be found faithful until you return. Yes, Lord, even as we see our own sinful tendencies and the evil in the world, we pray that you would come soon and that you would judge all. And we also pray that, Lord, that those who are still lost, those who are blessed but who have not heard the gospel, would also hear the gospel and come to you in repentance and faith. In Jesus' name we pray.